Coaches, what's going on? Hopefully you guys are having a good week. I know some schools just are getting off of spring break. Some schools like ours are just going on spring break. So uh, we don't have a whole lot going on. I'm sure you guys don't either enjoying time with your family. But you need anything from us, hit us up on Twitter uh, or on email. Obviously, you guys can always go to our website, runthepower.com, where we house all of our podcasts, all of our videos, merchandise, everything all over at runthepower.com. You guys have a really good spring break. And again, let's talk some football. Hit us up. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Legend Rings. As coaches, we all know the best way to represent our big win is with the championship ring. And the team at Legend Rings wants to help you celebrate your regional and state championship title this season. Their goal is to make your championship ring purchase simple, easy, and affordable from design to delivery. Check them out at legendrings.com or email info at legendrings.com to get started. Let them know that Run the Power sent you and they will make your ring for free. Again, go check them out at legendrings.com. This episode of the RTP podcast is brought to you by our guys over at Just Play. The team at Just Play hooked us up with their product, as you guys know, uh, and it's been a game changer for us. If you've seen us on Twitter or uh, have talked to us about this at all. We obviously especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, as you guys know, power, counter, inside zone, pin and pull, uh, and formations, so we can save time and be more productive. That's the biggest part. Saves time on defenses, saves time on on inputting offensive uh, formations, and then easy to draw the play out. Just Play is a limited time offer for RTP listeners only. Get my Just Play Pro for $120, which is an unbelievable $60 off the normal list price. Uh, this offer has been extended uh, and won't last forever. You can get this deal at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. The best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength and conditioning software to high schools around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program better. Right now, Team Builder is offering a 10-week off-season football training program with a -a two-a-day speed and agility program. This template even comes with videos from some of the top SEC strength coaches that will show you how to run your weight room. Visit their website and enter the code RTP to get the off-season football training template and start your 14-day completely free trial at teambuilder.com. Again, enter code RTP at teambuilder.com, which is team. B-U-I-L-D-R dot com. On this episode of RTP brought to you by Legend Rings, we talk with Brendan Flaherty. Coach Flaherty, now after recording this, is the offensive quality controls and tight ends coach for Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. Listen as we talk with Coach Flaherty about his coaching journey throughout the college ranks, offensive line recruiting, and film breakdown. You can follow Coach Flaherty on Twitter at Coach underscore Flaherty. Hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, so um, I, I grew up playing O-line, playing D-line in high school. Uh, at my high school, we had to play both ways. We uh, Up here in Massachusetts, there's not the massive, you know, 100-player rosters that, you know, I know a lot of other places in the country have. Uh, so played O-line and D-line. Um, played for a, a legendary uh, local high, uh, high school coach here, Rocky Nelson. 
Um, I, I grew up going to, to the local high school games. My brother, uh, a couple years older than me, he won a state championship. So, you know, that was always cool kind of being around him and his buddies and, you know, trying to follow in their footsteps. So, uh, you know, had a, a good career there. Um, I was a little, a little too short, a little too stiff to, you know, have anyone want to give me any money to come play at their school, but uh, ended up having a, a good four-year run at uh, D3 College in Southeastern Mass, Bridgewater State. Uh, had, you know, my, my freshman year started at guard and then sophomore year kicked out to uh, tackle and then stayed there for the, the next three years. Um, you know, ha had some good teams there, uh, played in a couple postseason games, played a bowl game. Uh, made the national D3 tournament my sophomore year. Um, so, you know, met, met a lot of a lot of good friends and a lot of guys that I played with and a couple guys that came before um, have got in coaching. So uh, it's been pretty cool to sort of, uh, you know, rise and, and do this thing with them. Um, so after that, uh, I, I went there as a business major and, um, you know, tr tried being a team guy, team player. So I ended up hosting. Uh, a couple of recruits, um, you know, during some overnight visits and stuff like that. And uh, I ended up going six for six. So I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, <laughs> just just get to host these guys and, you know, feel like I'm helping the team just by, you know, help, you know, improve our roster. So, uh, you know, I, I know that that's what the big issue always seemed to be in college coaching was, you know, everyone complained about recruiting and didn't want to do recruiting and all that stuff. So. I thought, well, maybe, you know, this can carry over to being successful at recruiting. So uh, I, I actually ended up adding coaching as my minor. So uh, instead of just taking, you know, random uh, electives, you know, I took some, you know, kinesiology classes, leadership classes, stuff like that. So I uh, ended up graduating with a minor in coaching. And in order to have that as part of my degree, uh, I had to do, I think it was like 300 hours or something like that of a uh, of a volunteer internship type deal. So, um, you know, I, I knew going into my senior year that I was going to have to do this internship. Uh, so I started working some camps, um, you know, just, just around New England volunteering, trying to make connections and stuff like that. So ended up making some, uh, some connections and was able to get in touch with uh, the coaching staff over at uh, Bentley College, which is a D Division II just outside of Boston. Um, so they were fortunate enough to allow me to come work with their running backs and their tight ends um, in a volunteer role during the spring of my senior year. So worked out pretty well. I uh, had like three or four classes on Monday. So that way, basically Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was able to do like full-time hours at Bentley. And then uh, Friday, uh, I was able to do like a, a half day up there and then whatever we had on the weekends I was there for. So whether it was practice or got out there, you know, did some official visit stuff with them. So uh, that, that was a really good couple months. Uh, learned a lot. It's crazy sort of, you know, being in the O-line bubble, uh, not really paying attention to any routes or anything like that. Uh, but working with running backs and tight ends, I sort of broadened my horizons there. Um, you know, it's, it's sort of one of the things where you're a player and, you know, you think you know a lot and, you know, get all the answers and <laughs> you, you sort of, you know, take a step back and see it from that view and realize you really didn't even know that much. So uh, that was a really good experience for me. Um, 
one of the guys I work with there, uh, Logan Johnson, he was the D-line coach at Bentley. And then uh, he ended up taking a job as the assistant D-line coach at Harvard. Uh, from there, um, you know, after spring ball, something opened up at Harvard. It was more in like a, a operations type role. And he recommended me for it, um, you know, through our time at Bentley. And, you know, from there went in, interviewed, ended up getting the job. Um, and then, you know, did that for two years, worked, you know, did a little bit of everything, you know, sort of like everyone says when you're sort of the low man on the totem pole, you know, did operations, did our uh, a lot of video stuff, did our recruiting graphics, and then, uh, you know, did a good enough job with that where they, they let me do some stuff with the O-line. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had some really good coaches uh, and really good players. Um, what ended up my first season going nine and one, uh, winning the Ivy League championship. So uh, that, that was a really cool introduction into coaching. Um, so like I said, did that for two years. Um, you know, won a lot of games, had some good players, made some, some good connections, and then uh, ended up becoming the O-line graduate assistant at University of Massachusetts, which is out in Amherst, um, FBS independent. So went there, didn't win as much, uh, had a, a really tough schedule, uh, ended up my two years there, you know, playing Tennessee, Georgia, Mississippi State, Boston. Jeez. Uh, some, some really good teams. But uh, even with that, we had, had some pretty good uh, offensive success. Um, you know, worked again with some, some really good coaches, really good players, um, learned a lot from there. Uh, after that, we, we had a staff change. Um, you know, new, new staff came in, and there were two full-time O-line coaches that, that they hired, two uh, co-O-line coaches. And uh, at that point, there was really no need for an O-line GA. So, uh, uh, I was on the market and, you know, got a couple interviews and stuff like that. And uh, one of my buddies, uh, Matt Arugio, who I played with at Bridgewater, uh, he was finishing up his second year as a GA at Boston College. And, you know, he, he knew that I was looking. So he gave me a call and it's like, well, I just got the DB job at Yale. Um, you know, I know you're an O-line guy, but if you were interested in working on defense and doing a GA here, uh, I'd love to recommend you for it. So. Uh, at that point, um, you know, after being in it for four years, all my experiences being in the Northeast and all my experience being on the old line for the most part, uh, both playing and coaching, aside from the couple couple months at Bentley, um, I, I knew in my next job I wanted to hit some certain criteria. So I knew either I wanted, you know, a full-time job, uh, a job out of region, uh, a GA job at the Power 5 level, or a job on defense. So uh, coming here to Boston College, working with the defense here, uh, hit two, two out of those four criteria. So um, I, I jumped at the opportunity, came in um, the day before spring ball started. So sort of a, a whirlwind thrown into the fire where it uh, – I can only imagine. Yeah, it was just kind of one of those things where, you know, first time working on defense and then, you know, we're out on the field the next day. So I didn't sleep much that first night just trying to learn install one and uh, again, you know, I talk about my experience working with the running backs and tight ends and, you know, realizing how little you know. Um, you know, I, I felt pretty good about my football knowledge after, you know, coaching for four years uh, between Harvard and UMass. And then I come here and I'm like, I had no idea that this was like how it is. 
So yeah, just finished my second year here. Um, similar similar type deal uh, after my first year. There's a staff change, um, and then you know the, the new staff came in. Um, a, a lot of good coaches on the old staff, a lot of good coaches on the new staff too. Uh, and I was fortunate enough this time to uh, be retained and uh, you know be a part of a, a good first first year here with uh, Coach Half and in the new regime here. So here we are, just uh, you know, just finished my second year, just uh, got my degree from Boston College, and uh, you know, trying to figure out what, what the next step is. Well, Coach, first thing that you know that that pops out to me, obviously, is is um, some really really intelligent places that you've been. Uh, yeah. You know, Harvard, Boston College, all these places that um, you know, to me at least here in the South, traditionally, I think of those schools as as the, you know, the, the tops, I'm sure everyone does really, really smart kids. So I'm assuming, you know, that that's kind of the kids that you're around as well on the, you know, in, the, in your football program, they're still going to have to, you know, pass certain levels uh, to get into school there. Uh, um, so what has it been like working with kids that are, or, or young men that are uh, so, so well evolved? I mean, such smart kids. I mean, is, is it something where you guys get to put a ton of more things in for those type of kids? Is it something that you just have to have a lot better answers for the kids whenever you do give them things? What is that like to have, you know, I would assume, you know, average GPA is so much higher at those schools than, than other traditional schools? Yeah. So that's a pretty common question is, you know, everyone thinks that, you know, especially at Harvard, well, you know, you got the smartest people on earth there, like you can <laughs> right. in that. And, uh, you know, they, they were all smart kids and, you know, everywhere I have been, you know, I've been fortunate to work with, you know, pretty, pretty intelligent young, young men. But, um, I mean, realistically at Harvard, um, you know, they, they talk about HYP, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, you know, those, those are the three top tier Ivy League schools. So we were actually probably the simplest system I've been in was at Harvard because, you know, we just had better players. Like, my, my, the first line I worked with there, we had five all-conference players. Our quarterback was the Ivy League player of the year. Uh, we had some really good wide receivers and, and a really good running back. So it was just sort of one of the things where, you know, we just didn't want to mess it up. We just, you know, kept it simple, let them play fast, uh, and, and let them play with confidence. Um, but I, I would say at, at places like Boston College, places like Harvard, um, yeah, I'd say it's more the off the field things. You know, our, our guys are, you know, not just smart like with textbooks, but like they're they're good decision makers. So you know, you, you hear the horror stories of you know having to you know get certain calls at three. Oh yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know st stuff like that. Um, for, you know, in in really my six years of coaching, um, I, I haven't really had to experience much of that uh you know with off the field issues and stuff like that you know every now and then you know a kid will miss a class or you know i've still had to do a bunch of class check stuff like that but um you know for the most part guys don't get to places like this by you know taking the the easy way out and you know making bad decisions uh you know they, they understand what it means to sacrifice and they understand the big picture of why they're doing what they're doing um so because of that, you know, we're, we're able to hold them accountable and, you know, make sure that they understand the repercussions of, of all their actions that, that they do. 
Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, you know, you talk about that. That's uh, makes you guys sleep a lot better at night. I know. I I went to school at the University of Houston, so I think we had a lot more late night phone calls to uh, to our coaches. I'm sure they were um, <laughs> not as uh, they weren't as happy with us uh, off the field. I'm sure, but um, uh, you know, fun times, anyways. But so the other big thing, coach, that that you know, I was curious as you made this list. Hey, here's the four main things that I want to get out of my next job. And then you listed, you know, obviously, yeah, I want to at a power five and, and some of those made sense. The one that was kind of interesting to me, which is really, really smart, which was, hey, I want to go to the other side of the of the football. What made you, you know, as a, I'm a, an offensive line guy as well and love offensive line and can't imagine getting away from it. However, I see that like the best coaches know both sides of the football. Only way to know both sides of the football really well, like you said, is probably to coach both sides of the football. So was that hard to put that on your list? I mean, how important was that on your list? Uh, to me, it, it scares me because, man, I would love to be coaching offensive line. I'd hate a year where I don't coach them. But then I know, hey, if I come over here and coach anything on defense, I'm getting even better on offensive line and I'm learning more about the game. So, uh, you know, what was what went into that decision and and what all have you gathered from those few years on defense? Yeah, so I'd say all in all, it's just sort of been an evolution. Um you know, like I said, I, I came out of, you know, playing at Bridgewater State and, you know, thought I knew a lot and thought I'd be able to to coach well. And then, you know, I'm exposed to the whole pass game and stuff like that and realized I didn't know as much. Then I go to Harvard and, you know, learn their system and, and all, the, all that type of stuff. And, you know, I leave there thinking, wow, you know, I really learned a lot here. You know, I could probably be a pretty good old line coach. And then I go to work at UMass with Mark Whipple and Mike Foley. Um, and, you know, learn, you know, that they, we were pro system or two back stuff like that. And I'm sort of exposed to a whole new world because up until then, I'd basically just been in spread systems. So, you know, uh, I'm in that experience. I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have known all this. Like I would have been doing my players a disservice. Like I'm so much more prepared to coach an O-line now. Um, and then I actually went on an interview and part of the interview was, you know, we were just talking defense. And I sort of sputtered out during that part of it. And I thought the interview went well, except for that. Uh, and then I sort of looked at myself. And I was like, all right, well, you know, again, I'd probably be doing my players a disservice because I didn't know this. I didn't know that. Like just all, all the different things that you don't think about until, you know, you're in it. Just, you know, whether it be alignments or, you know, different blitz adjustments, stuff like that. Um, you know, that's predicated off the the offensive formation and, and different offensive sets, stuff like that. So I thought, well, you know, if, if I can't get a full-time job being an O-line coach yet, uh, might as well continue learning and growing as a coach. So, you know, when I do get that opportunity to have my own room and run my own unit, um, you know, I'll be able to prepare those guys, you know, better than anyone else. Just taking a few notes here, coach. That's why, man, this is all awesome stuff. I, I love talking to to the GAs. It always gets me uh, fired up because, you know, anytime we go to we go to schools, the, the first guys that we kind of like to, you know, seek out are some of the GAs because one, they're going to have more time, you know, to, to talk with you usually. I mean, obviously you got things to do, but and then two, you know, they're the guys that kind of have maybe some of the inside scoop. They're the ones building the playbooks. They're the ones building the uh, the cutups. But can you talk a little bit about kind of your typical day? I know I've been a GA before. Um, you know, how do you kind of balance the tasks that you have to do 
Uh, and then also with knowing, man, I'm here because I need to get better. And I'm here because I'm trying to, uh, you know, develop and, and ultimately get that, that job that I want to hopefully get. How do you kind of balance those two uh, at BC? Yeah. So here uh, in season, we're a morning practice operation. Um, so we'll, we'll come in, we'll usually start with like a 7am staff meeting, stuff like that. So we'll, we'll come in, uh, we'll have the script and everything cards done the, the night before. Uh, just because it's a pretty quick turnaround. So we'll come in, uh, go over the script, go over the, you know, the practice phase, stuff like that. Uh, see if there's anything that needs to be changed, whether, you know, if, if we're outside um, and then some bad weather's coming in, well, maybe we got to go to the indoor and because the indoor there's less space. So maybe, you know, some drills get either changed around or anything like that. So we'll go over that. Um, and then we'll start our player meetings so uh, we'll, we'll have position meetings after special teams, stuff like that. And then again, having uh, my O-line background, um, I, I would meet every day with the scout offensive line. So uh, we would either, if it's in the beginning of the week, you know, I'd make a cut up of some of the top schemes and you know, different ways that our opponent uh, is, is blocking certain plays, stuff like that. Uh, so I'd show that to the scout O-line and tight ends. And then, uh, for the rest of the week, we just watch practice film. So, uh, you know, in the past, my first year, what we would do is we'd scan all the, all the scout cards and then put it in a cut up. So I'll show, okay, here's this play and here's the card when we're out on the field, this is what I'll say. And then I'll show the, the actual game clip. Um, and then in year two, I sort of got away from that just because, um, a lot of times the, the clips sort of made it muddy just because you know they're in a different front or you know the the card that you know one of the coaches wanted to see you know they ran against a you know a three four and you know we're, we're not going to be in that or something like that so um i just thought it was better just to you know again like trying to get the scout guys to buy into you know working hard and, and straining and stuff like that so i figured the best way to do that was just to show them themselves and coach them and you know prove to them that you know, you're not just servicing the defense, like you're getting better as a player as well, and you're being coached. Uh, and, and I think they really appreciated that and respected that. So we would do that. Uh, then we'd head out to the field. Uh, we'd do any walkthrough, anything like that, do our practice, uh, and then we'd come back up. Uh, usually when, when coach breaks down the team after practice, uh, the GAs and support staff were, were sprinting up to our office and putting in all the data so that way we can make our cut-ups and, and our practice tape um, for the, the full-time guys to get up and watch um, during lunchtime. So we'll watch that. Um, and then, it, again, in season, any other breakdown that we need to do, whether it's you know, later on in the week when it's third down or red zone, short yardage, stuff like that, uh, we'll continue doing that. Uh, we'll continue getting, you know, any notes that we need to to the players. You know, we'll, we'll get our, our grades in for practice, any comments. Um, we'll, we'll chart um, anything that had to do with ball security. So, you know, any shot attempt on the ball, any pick, you know, we worked out this formula this, this year. And, uh, you know, every, after every practice, uh, we, we would award uh, a certain position group. Uh, we'd let them wear black jerseys out. So if, uh, if the DBs, you know, had a bunch of, you know, greedy scoops or interceptions, stuff like that, uh, there's a point system that we averaged out based off reps. Um, so they would go out, they'd be wearing black jerseys and, you know, play with a little bit more swag the next day. 
Uh, same thing if, if the D-line had a bunch of sacks or, you know, forced fumbles, stuff like that. Then the next day they'd be out. And then same thing if we didn't reach our turnover goal as a defense, um, our scout players would be in black jerseys, you know, more O-line and quarterback, stuff like that. If uh, if we had a wide receiver or a tight end who uh, we, we needed a jersey number on based off game plan, uh, that would obviously take precedence. But uh, so we would do that. Uh, we'd get all the grades, get all that. Uh, administrative stuff done, and then it start start prep for the next day. So, uh, you know, again, building the script, getting all the scout cards ready, getting them all scanned, making the packets, uh, making all the little four boxes for the coaches, uh, trying you know trying to make sure that the next day goes off smoothly again. Coach, I I love and and it was something that at Houston we only got one year, um, but I've never understood at most colleges you know why they didn't have an offensive guy, you know, basically coaching the offensive line scout team because, you know, they could get so much better from someone actually. And those are the kids that you want to develop. I would have said, you know, those are the kids you want to develop. They're red shirt guys. They're, they're freshmen, young guys that are your scout team offensive linemen. They're the ones that need to learn the most. And there was a few years at Houston. We had no, it was like a D line guy over there trying to show you the, the lines on a card. And, and it was a guy that had, no idea. I mean, he just had no clue anything about offensive line. And so if the cards weren't exactly drawn up right and the defense shifted and because the, the D coordinator felt like he wanted to do something else at that time, and then then everyone was all screwed up and the linemen are getting yelled at more like, what do we, we don't even know what we're doing anyways. You told us to block it against a three, four, you guys went to, you know, whatever, an under front, what, you know, what, what are we supposed to be doing? And so there was one year though, we had an, an offensive line guy doing it and we got so much better uh, because like you said, you know, you could even grade those kids off of what they did based off of how that scheme compared to the scheme that we were running, you know? Uh, so I'm sure, you know, there's only, unless you guys are running against an option team, you know, a veer option team, everyone runs basically the same schemes. And so you guys can still teach it the way you guys teach it run generally the same way, but your guys are getting better through it. Um, I, it had to have been fun as the offensive line guy that you are uh, being able to work with those guys, almost kind of having your own group and, and working those offensive linemen uh, to develop them. Yeah. So one of the things too, is like, you know, I'll still be out there every day with the big scout card packet, but honestly in, the 11 games that we played this year, uh, there were probably less than 20 cards that were actually shown. Just, uh, you know, again, dating back to my first year here, uh, me and the O-line GA, you know, we sort of exchanged information where, you know, I'm able to put what we want done in our offensive burbage. So, again, just trying to prove to, the, to these young guys, these red shirt guys that, you know, you're not just running off a card, you're like, the words that I'm telling you are the words that you're going to be hearing when you're in that varsity huddle next year. So we'll get out, we'll get out on the line. I'll yell out whatever the, the concept is, the scheme. Uh, I'll, I'll yell out the combos. By the end of the year, they were making their own combo calls and it was good and it sort of almost ran itself. Um, but, you know, again, you know, the, the whole defensive staff, we have our headsets on at practice. So, you know, if, if Coach Tam or Coach Half wants to change up whatever the look is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be keyed into that. So if there is an issue where, you know, maybe a card was drawn up one way uh, and we sort of have to adjust on the fly where we have those capabilities. 
Well, and like you said, if you'll if you guys just call it whatever you guys call it, then then hopefully, like you said, by middle of the season, your guys can make that adjustment. I know you know what they think they're going to see against inside zone, but uh, if it were to shift or be a different front because he wanted to change it or whatever the case was, they still know their inside zone rules and and could block that up. And and you know their double team calls, like you said, so you're yelling them out. But but all of that is just them getting to me, actual game reps. And then everyone talks about, hey, you know, the, the guy that's a senior that's played three years is really good because he got so many game reps. Well, uh, you know, and it was my always in my opinion when I was playing and only get to be on scout team one year, but those were all game reps for me if it could be what we call it, you know. It, hey, we're still – whatever we call it, 502 is inside zone right. So, we're calling 502, and I'm still making all my double team calls, and I'm going against the ones. I'm going to – you know, is what I, in my mind, I'm going against the ones. is the best defense I'm going to see all year. Um, and so, these are live game reps, all these things that can happen. And like you said, if you can do it where it's not on a card, which that's always the hard part because um, you don't want to screw up the scout team uh, and, and screw the defense, but – if you guys can get it done, then your guys are making all those calls. It's like game reps, uh, and and they're getting it. You know, they're getting live game reps uh, all through scout team. Yeah, it worked out really well. And, and again, yeah, you know, there's only so many hours and you know so many reps we can get per day. So not having to huddle up or you know not having to run back and forth and show five different guys the same card. You know, just being able to verbalize everything. Uh, I feel like really sped up our process coach I gotta imagine too being on the defensive side and and again you know uh, having gone to a few practices and met with with several staffs you know it, it really benefits you, know, you go to those staffs where the, the d coordinator's been with the head coach or the offensive guy for a long time so you know he understands the offense that you know whatever school it is that they run um inside and out and you're working on that side you know, I always like to be able to talk to those guys because you'd hear this, this is the stuff that gives us trouble, you know, so I think, you know, being on the defensive side now, I would imagine you're getting a pretty good education on, you know, what run schemes give this type of defense problems, you know, what this front, what type of, uh, you know, past concepts are giving these different coverages problems and the things that you guys are having to spend extra time on, you know, building a bank of things for you to be like, yep, when I'm coaching someday, I'm going to be able to attack these things a little bit better. Yeah, so it's kind of worked both ways. Um, you know, uh, I know a lot of places GAs really don't have a voice or are sort of, you know, supposed to just be seen, not heard. Um, but the, the defensive staff here, again, understanding my, my old line background, uh, has done an awesome job just asking my input, whether it's, you know, it's, it's more for the third down type stuff. Um, just, you know, trying to get guys in a 5-0 protection, trying to, you know, get, you know, two on a back, whatever it is, uh, you know, it's, it's been really valuable for me being in these defensive meetings, just verbalizing my thoughts. And, you know, we, we ran some some pressures and stuff that you know, I, I had a hand in and uh, missed a sack on one. So I was sort of heartbroken on that. I was like, you know, that was my shot to. <laughs> but um, no, and then same thing. Um, we'll, we'll be watching stuff. Or, and that's one of the cool things, too, is being on defense for the last two years. You know, everyone in the offseason does their offseason studies. Uh, I, I really kind of treated this like, you know, for 24 weeks or 23 weeks because we had a shortened season uh, this year because of COVID. Really, that's been 23 offensive studies that I've done 
uh, over the last two years where, uh, you know, whenever I see something good on, on tape um, against one of our opponents, stuff like that, I'll, I, I have all my little cut-ups where I save everything. And, and same thing, we'll be watching as a defensive staff and the coaches will be like, wow, like this is such a headache. And uh, our D coordinator, Coach Tim, uh, he, he actually, you know, saw me writing a little note about a certain play and you know, kind of called me out on it jokingly, like, yeah, yeah, I see you writing that down. Like, that's good stuff. So uh, no, it's, it's been really cool. And uh, uh, like I said, a, a huge benefit, I think, for me moving forward. That's funny. That's what, what Walls always said uh, when he was at Tulsa. They would see, um, you know, he's going through and scouring all these different offenses and and putting all these cut-ups that he likes and and kind of building his own – not building his own offense like he thought he was going to get one the next year, but starting to assemble his offense of things that he liked to see and things that he didn't like to see or, you know, try to build around – uh, you know, off of all, all these opponents films. And, and he even said, you know, too, not even, you know, in the off season, once he got all his work done, Hey, he's got this film from every, you know, just about every college you could, you could think of, he could go and watch, you know, at the time, you know, whoever was the big ones, I can't remember at the time, but um, if you can get your work done, you know, that you guys have in the off season, there's just so much film and so many things you guys can go through. Uh, if, if you've got the, the work ethic, I guess, to go get it done. Yeah. And it's, you know, obviously the, the scheme stuff is huge and being exposed to all these different concepts, uh, but not even just that, just also teach tapes too. just whether it's, you know, a guy mm-hmm. showing something that, that you feel strongly about, or, you know, having an issue doing something that you don't like, um, just so again, when, when I, you know, am in that, that chair and, you know, have my own line, I, I have all these tapes where I can, you know, the, all these young guys, they, they want answers to why they do what they do, why we ask them to do it. Um, so now I'll be able to answer that with video saying, well, this is why, you know, I'm telling you to use that footwork because here's, you know, 20 clips of guys doing it the way that you want to do it and it not working for them. So this is how we're going to do it. That's a great point, coach. I think that's, you know, one, one thing I, I continuously try to get better at, you know, no matter what position I coach is, is having those examples, you know, finding those, those little pieces, like, you know, for instance, I'm studying, you know, like back shoulder throws and I'm watching all kinds of, you know, plays in the NFL where seeing how these guys defend it, you know, what is the technique that, you know, these really good corners are using to defend it. And a lot of them are kind of, you know, grabbing that, that backside shoulder, you know, early, so I can't open it, but things like that, you know, you're talking with O-line play, you know, how do I defend the long arm? You know, how do I having that bank of, of technique? And then, you know, not only, you know, having those clips, but then again, at the same time in your head, okay, here's how I'm going to teach that. Here's how I'm going to be able to defeat these things, you know, being able to rehearse that stuff and, and sit down and, and really kind of reflect on it that's when you really make yourself a lethal coach, in my opinion. Yeah. Just sort of refining it and, you know, having that, that video justification of, you know, proof that what you're teaching and preaching is effective and and the most efficient way to do it. Coach, you know, work, go ahead, Walls. I was just going to say, you know, to kind of, you know, piggyback off of it, you know, working for so many, you know, great coaches, what are kind of some of the things that you've maybe taken, you know, with you, like maybe some things that just really resonate and it's like, man, that's, that's something I'm going to take and I'm going to use it no matter what, or, you know, maybe there's one or two guys where you're like, 
you know, we kind of give a shout out to, it's like, these guys have really kind of molded, you know, the direction I want to go as a, as a young coach in football. Yeah. So uh, I'd say first off, probably Jeremy Bandy, who I worked for, uh, he was our online coach at Harvard. Uh, I, I thought he was really good. Um, he, he was more of a, a vocal guy, like, you know, a little bit of a louder guy on the field. Um, so for, for me, that that was really good. Uh, I kind of thought it was best to, you know, the, I think the GA and the coach should be complementary of each other, not, you know, you know, I, I didn't want to be his mini me. Um, so with that, you know, he was a little bit more, like I said, vocal, a little bit louder. So, um, you know, I, I took it upon myself to sort of try and be, you know, a little bit, not, not more soft-spoken, but a little bit more, you know, teacher, explainer, more in-depth communicator. Um, and then things almost flipped when I went to UMass where uh, Coach Mike Foley, uh, who was our O-line coach there, you know, he, he was, you know, more of the style that I was at Harvard, which then gave me the opportunity to be a little bit more loud, vocal um, in, in my communication with those guys. Um, so I, I think for me, that's been good to, you know, be able to have sort of two different coaching styles that I've really executed and, again, continue to refine, uh, you know, here in my two years at, at BC. Um, so sort of being able to, to read a room and understand, you know, when you can really get after a guy or, or when a guy's just going to sort of shut it off uh, if, if you take that approach with him. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've worked with really good coaches, really good scheme guys, and, and really good leaders. Um, you know, like I said, we didn't have great success at UMass, but, you know, Coach Whip was there back in, uh, back in the 90s, and he won a national championship at the, at the FCS level uh, at UMass. So, you know, he, he knows a lot. He's won a Super Bowl uh, with the Steelers as, as a position coach. So, you know, even though we weren't getting it done there, uh, when I was there, doesn't mean that, you know, there were bad coaches or, or anything like that. Um, you know, come here, come to BC, work with Coach Adazio for a year and, uh, you know, become bowl eligible. And that was my first time being bowl eligible uh, as a coach. So learned a lot there. Uh, you know, he really, really grinded the guys, really grinded the staff, uh, you know, attacked every day with, you know, unbelievable urgency. Um, and, you know, that was sort of stemming from the Urban Meyer culture of, you know, every day, every task, it's fourth and one. Uh, and then now to Coach Half, who, you know, is probably the the less, you know, yeller of a coach that I've ever been around. Um, but the, the players really respond to him and, you know, they understand how much respect that he has for them. And, you know, he's, he's willing to listen to the guys. And that's one of the reasons that even though we were bowl eligible this year, we didn't play in a bowl. Like, you know, throughout the whole year, you know, our roster, our, our program, we didn't have any positive COVID tests. And that's because, you know, the message he was able to get across to our players was, you know, you need to make that sacrifice for the seniors. You have to respect these guys enough. And if you don't, it's no issue. Like you can get, you can opt out. And once COVID's over, you can come back and then we'll, we'll take care of everything at that point. But, um, you know, the, the fact that we were able to have no positive COVID tests in a major city up here in Boston uh, is really a testament to Coach Half's leadership and the leadership of our players. 
and then again, you know, having a pulse of the team and understanding where everyone's at. Uh, our guys hadn't seen their family because we, we couldn't have any fans. Uh, most of our guys hadn't seen their family since June. So our guys were exhausted and mentally drained and stuff like that. So we have a leadership council. So uh, coach called them up after our last game and uh, just sort of asked where everyone was mentally and, uh, you know, decided it wasn't worth trying to pursue a bowl game to go through more practices and travel and, you know, try and avoid the risk of, you know, guys, be, you know, getting sick, stuff like that. Offer a game that might get canceled the night before we play because of the other team or because of our team. So, and I think there were like three or four bowl games that got canceled this year, the week of. So I definitely think that uh, our leadership council, uh, which represents our players, made a great decision. And obviously coach has respect for, for the guys on our roster to listen to those guys and, and act accordingly. That's, that's such an awesome, um, you know, place that you've got to be, you know, throughout your coaching career is to learn from so many different coaches. Uh, that was, I was always excited at Houston and I had four different offensive line coaches the five years I was there and it makes it tough as a player. But once you get out of that, you're like, okay, I had four guys that all did it four different ways. And there were some I thought were idiots and some I thought were really, really super good. And, and I can kind of mesh all four of those into the coach that I want to be. Um, and, and it sounds like while you didn't have any idiots around, uh, sounds like you had, you know, a bunch of different really good coaches, but with a lot of different, um, you know, ways to go about doing things that you could pick and choose from, which is awesome. Um, you mentioned, you know, your kind of whole first reason and thinking about getting into uh, football was the recruiting you know, end. Uh, and I, you know, I don't know all the rules now with being a GA and how all that works. Uh, for a while, I thought you weren't really allowed to do much recruiting as a GA. So if that is the case, how are you still learning about that process? Uh, how are GA, how do GAs learn that recruiting process? Because that's what you're going to end up having to do. And, and like you said, at the college level, that's almost I would assume as important as how good of a coach are you is can you bring these really good kids in and then can you develop them, but you got to be able to get them in. How do you guys as GAs, how do you learn that and, and get into that without being allowed to go out on those recruiting visits? Yeah. So uh, it, it's kind of crazy how the world of COVID has turned all the full-time coaches into recruiting the way that GAs have. Mm. Uh, so, so when I was at Harvard, uh, coach Murphy, who I work for there, who's our head coach, uh, he's been there almost 30 years. Uh, one of the things he would always say is probably the biggest impact a young coach can have on his program is by improving the roster and, and bringing talent uh, into the program. So that's obviously through recruiting. So um, I, I didn't do too much when I was at Harvard because, you know, I, I was still getting into it and all that stuff. Um, but then when I got to UMass, uh, I was fortunate enough to, you know, be trusted with my own area and stuff like that. And being a Massachusetts guy at the flagship school uh, in the state and Coach Foley, who I was GAing for, he was our Massachusetts recruiter. Uh, I, I helped him a lot with the, the local recruiting, stuff like that. So I was able to actually sign a couple guys as preferred walk-ons. Um, while I was at UMass, got, got three guys to come. Um, and I know on paper that probably doesn't sound too impressive because, oh, you know, they're just walk-ons. But uh, one of the things that was 
taught to me at Bentley when I was first, first getting into it was, you know, if, if you can convince a guy to, to come play football here and pay his own way, like you probably recruited him pretty well. Um, so, uh, you know, I was able to do that. Of those three guys, uh, one was put on scholarship after a year. Uh, the other transferred to an FCS school and uh, earned a scholarship there. Uh, he transferred and got a scholarship. Uh, and then uh, the other guy just continued as, as a walk-on uh, at UMass. So to me, um, you know, I, I definitely think I brought value in, you know, adding talent to our roster uh, without having that change our scholarship numbers. Coach, how are you, you know, evaluating offensive linemen? So, you know, you get you guys get to watch a bunch of film. I know a lot of that's kind of gone now towards, you know, some of the, the recruiting department, but they're still going to pass, you know, offensive line around. They want to probably get as many eyes on as they can. You know, what are some kind of the uh, the go-to checklists, you know, that make or break, you know, a guy that's going to get offered, you know, by, say, a Boston college? Yeah, so, you know, it's sort of cliche, but you definitely want to look for the stuff that you can't coach. Uh, you know, how big is a guy in, in terms of, you know, his length? You know, we're fortunate here. Uh, we're, we have a full-time nutritionist and a really good strength staff that, you know, we don't need to get the 310-pound guy. Um, you know, some of our best players here, uh, the two off the top of my head are the Lindstrom brothers, uh, Chris, who was a first-round draft pick a couple years ago, and then Alec, who I think was – all ACC this year, I think for the second time, it might've even been for the third time, but both those guys came in here. Uh, you know, they were being recruited at 240 pounds, 235 pounds. Um, but then once they got here, uh, you know, they, they took care of their body and, you know, ate what they're supposed to eat and, you know, train the way they're supposed to train. So I, I've never been super caught up in a guy's weight, but, you know, obviously you can't have a bunch of sawed off guys running around, especially in the ACC. Um, that's a recipe for disaster. So definitely length. Uh, you know, you like a guy who can move, you know, has a little bit of twitch. Um, you know, if a guy's heavy footed, then, uh, again, some of the, the D lines that, you know, our guys have to face, uh, that, that's going to be a long day uh, for those guys. So definitely length, twitch, and, and movement skills, I'd say. Um, and, and then the other thing, too, is like when guys come up with their parents, you know, how big are their parents? Are they going to be able to grow and fill out their frame and, and stuff like that. Coach, what about the short guys? You said you were too short of a guy that to, to get into the school. Is, is there is there ever any room at, at one of the top schools for one short guy every other class or so? Is I mean, if he's if he's a dude, um, you know, because you and and I don't mean short like you know five eight five nine. I'm yeah. I'm talking about the six one, the the six foot guy, the, the short for offense alignment uh, at, at the power five conference level is there a, a room for a guy like that to to try to make make a spot at one of those big schools yeah there is um you know again Alec Lindstrom our, our center here he's probably you know right around that six two mark maybe you know a, a hair taller hair shorter I'm not sure exactly but um you know I wouldn't say I have a soft spot in my heart because you know, I know how that goes. You can't be too much <laughs> right. recruiting and you know, wind up out of a job. But uh, no, I, I definitely think if you know if a guy like that uh, is really talented and explosive and 
know, dynamic in other ways and, you know, has all the intangibles to really maximize uh, every bit of his 6'1 or 6'2 self. Um, you know, every now and then you can, you can take a gamble on that guy, but definitely can't be multiple guys every year and, you know, probably shouldn't be more than one every other year, I'd say. Well, and, and, you know, you, you better be right on that. Like you said, if, if you go after a six foot seven giant that doesn't pan out, you don't look like an idiot coach, but if you go after a, a six foot kid that six foot two kid that doesn't pan out, then you, you know, so, so you better be right whenever you do go do it. Uh, you know, I, I kind of understand that whole thing uh, as well. Uh, so, and, and I don't want to get anyone in trouble. So I, I don't know the, all the rules um, with how it goes. So just say you can't answer if you can't, but, Obviously, this year uh, we see all these. You know, they they have opened up the transfer portal uh, and and let these kids, uh, at least in my knowledge, they get to go and and they can kind of transfer this year and, and are eligible within the year. So so with that transfer portal kind of being opened up, has it opened any more uh, like the NFL, where you guys are kind of scouting and, and not talking to the kids, but but have an idea of what other teams have on their, on their uh, rosters. Is it something that you just, you guys have to go through the portal and start pulling those kids names out. How has, how has that developed now that that is a new thing that uh, it's not new. I know people have been transferring for years, but now that it is, it is more of a, a popularized thing. And, and I think this year it seems like there's a lot more kids in it than, than has been in the past. Yeah, I mean, for, for us, we, we have a really good recruiting department. Um, so our, our lead guy, Jason Kwan, came over with Coach Half from Ohio State, and he's like our portal guy. So, he'll, you know, we're fortunate here that our video department gets video from every school that plays a game. Uh, we usually get that every Sunday. So when a guy does hit the portal, um, he, he's able to comb through the names and, you know, find guys, and he'll put up a, a cut-up together. Uh, stuff like that. Uh, occasionally we'll hear uh, ahead of time from like a high school coach or, you know, you know, this staff's very connected. So uh, we'll, we'll know guys at a lot of other staffs. So, you know, maybe they'll shoot us a text like, Hey, you know, we're, we're about to lose this guy. Uh, you know, you should take a look at him or something like that. He'd be a good fit for you guys. Um, but for the most part, we're, we're not trying to make a living really in the transfer portal. Uh, a place like Boston College, you know, it's really tough to have enough, you know, transferable credits and stuff like that and making sure guys are eligible when they get here. But, uh, you know, for the most part, we're, we're still going to be very heavy in high school recruiting. Uh, you know, we want guys here for four to five years that we can truly develop and, you know, mold. Uh, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll take a chance on a guy who's maybe a little bit leaner because, you know, we have, you know, the support here to give our players to really grow and, again, maximize their potential. But um, the other part is the culture. Like, you know, we're selective with our transfers here. Um, you know, we took a transfer quarterback from Notre Dame. Uh, was really, really good for us, really helped us, um, you know, have, have a pretty explosive offense. Um, but again, we're, we're not looking for mercenaries. We're not going to just take guys just to take guys. Uh, we want to make sure that they fit here, um, you know, with our players and you know, with our team goals and stuff like that. So, you know, it's definitely something that we 
are interested in and we monitor and you know, we do take transfers, but uh, we're not going to be sort of make or break if, you know, the portal's not super good to us. So, Coach, going back to you personally, you know, before you got this, you know, GA job, you or before you got this one, you were, um, you know, looking for your four things. I would assume as, as you look to move on in the future, um, what are your things that you're looking at now? What are you looking to do? Uh, are you looking to go back to the offensive side, looking to stay on the defensive side? What's kind of some of the things that, that, that are on your checklist at this point in, in your career? Yeah, so for me, uh, I definitely want to get back on offense. Uh, th this has been a, a two-year, you know, beneficial undercover mission, you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> you know, looking behind the curtains here. But, uh, you know, definitely want to take the knowledge that I've gained uh, being here on, on defense and apply it in an offensive setting. Um, in terms of, you know, moving on, um, you know, I, I still, you know, I grew up in Massachusetts, you know, played my college ball in Massachusetts. And for six years, I've coached in Massachusetts. So uh, at some point, I would like to, you know, broaden my horizons and, you know, see what else is out there. And I, I really enjoy traveling and stuff like that. So um, I'm interested in, you know, maybe a new region, uh, especially in, you know, days like this where it's like 20 degrees out. I'm, I'm pretty open to uh, moving down south. <laughs> um, Good call. Uh, yeah, definitely want to be, be back on offense. Um, yeah, you know, I got my family and friends here. So if, uh, if my next opportunity is in the Northeast, then great. If, if not, then that's great too. Um, and then, you know, hopefully, you know, after doing it for six years, you know, riding shotgun, want to, uh, you know, hopefully have my own room and, you know, drive my own ship. Yeah, coach, you need to make it down South. It was uh 50 degrees here the past, past couple of days. That's just in Oklahoma. That's not even the deep South. It's just kind of in the middle. We were in the fifties. Quit rubbing it in. <laughs> Well, Coach, you know what? Kind of rolling up on an hour. I know you're super busy, but before we let you go, uh, one thing I always like to ask guys is is uh, when you're watching another team's offensive line, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? So I'd, I'd say that the two things are the start and the stop. Um, you know, so pre-snap, you know, are, are their eyes trained? Do they have good eye discipline? You know, are, are, are they IDing things correctly? Um, and then that first step, you know, is it clean? Are they picking up any sort of movement or blitz, uh, which again, you know, is tied back into where their eyes are. And that's going to tell them where their feet are going and then how they finish. So, you know, are, are they finishing blocks or are they sort of getting engaged with a guy and, you know, you see their head peeking back, seeing if the running backs made a cut yet, uh, trying to let a guy off the hook. So if they're finishing, you know, finishing on top of guys and then finishing around the ball, uh, you know, we'll always preach covering down and, you know, whether that means you're there to pick up your, your teammate after a big run, they're celebrating a touchdown with them, they're to pick up a fumble, uh, anything like that. So, yeah, I definitely say how they start and, and how they stop. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to, again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys, make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com 
Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.